This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 243, brought to you in association with Smart and EnlistedBoard.com. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Ivan Mariasin, CEO and co-founder at Embedded Workflow Scale-Up, brackets, whatever one of those is, he'll tell us later, no doubt, brackets, Monite, to talk about, as a Christmas special, a superset of fintech in a very interesting place, namely the tech scene as a whole in Berlin, which sounds cool, plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. Good morning, Ivan. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Morning, Mike. Great to be here. And I was teasing you just as we were connecting that uh, you were just back from San Francisco, uh, which is one place that's sort of uh, collapsing and, and all sorts of things which would have been inconceivable a few decades happened on the streets of San Francisco these days. When I was young, it was sort of, if you're going to San Francisco, be sure to wear a flower in your hair. I think it's these days, be sure to take sort of... Uh, clogs because the pavements aren't as clean as they were a few decades ago. And you're now back in Berlin. But I thought rather than mentioning San Francisco, which we've touched on once or twice, and I think all the audience know about the challenges of, of California and all that kind of thing, I thought we might give a little context to the Berlin tech scene by zooming out from Berlin tech scene to Berlin and then from Berlin to Germany. People my age actually got educated about this kind of stuff, but I doubt that uh, the younger generation gets too much education in the, in the average country around the world. So let's deal with that zoom up. And for example, one of the simple factoids that young folk who may not know about this might want to take away is that Germany is an incredibly young country. It's less than 150 years old. I had to do this in my O-level so I know that all the states which were quite independent and there was a customs union in the 19th century which was designed to be a customs union and then, and then turned into a sort of uh, a country which uh, was rather an earlier parallel for the EU, which was supposed to be a customs union and then turns more and more into a country with its own army uh, and these kind of things. And it was only Bismarck in, what, it was 1870 or something, that unified Germany into a country. So it's had to sort of a, a number of challenges since. But to give Germans and Germany their credit, they did manage to fend off the Roman Empire. So that's quite an achievement, although that's quite a while ago. So I don't know whether you want to start at that, but if we end up with a Berlin tech scene for our main course, and we're zooming up to Berlin and Germany. You can either start from the top down, as I did with Germany, or Berlin. And um, everybody knows that London isn't England and England isn't London. But I think the difference is even greater with Berlin and Germany for, again, a number of historical reasons. No, absolutely so. You're, you're absolutely right. And it's actually, uh, you know, through coming from San Francisco, it's, uh, it's a very interesting uh, sort of iteration for me. I lived in San Fran um, about six years back before I moved to Berlin, and it was a very different place pre-COVID. Now you got to keep belongings a lot closer to yourself than before, and Tenderloin sort of spreads to other areas of the city, which is rather unfortunate. While Berlin stayed pretty consistent, however, it also got pretty affected by COVID. And I think when I moved to Berlin, it was a very different thing to what it is now. 
now. So kind of happy to talk about that. And then to your last comment, uh, we definitely second second the statement that um, you know just like London is in England, um, I think the same applies to Berlin is in Germany. Berlin is Berlin, and even many Germans say that Berlin isn't really Germany. Like most people speak English in Berlin, it's like super international, um, less German in many cultural aspects, um, and blends a lot of cultures. Um, also has a pretty unique cultural vibe apart from the tech scene. Um, so happy to sort of either start with Berlin or maybe just talk about Germany first and then um, zoom into Berlin a little bit more. Well, let's talk about um, Berlin because there's quite a lot to talk about for the main course in terms of the tech scene. I've, I think I've only been to Berlin once, actually. I went for a Dzogchen seminar, which was in former East Berlin. Again, as I think everybody knows, Berlin was partitioned after the war between the so-called allies who weren't allies for very much longer. <laughs> and therefore a bit of a wall got built. But anyway, I was walking along Unter de Linden, which is the main road that runs sort of, Strasse that runs west-east. And I was reflecting at the time of who had marched up and down. I mean, Napoleon marched, marched that way. <laughs> and then after a rather cold winter and a not so sort of good experience in, in, in uh, Russia, he, he walked the other way, which is the same way I was uh, walking. And then, of course, there was a uh, Second World War thing, and lots of people were marching around Unter de Linden and choosing where they are. And then we had the whole Berlin airlift and, and, and all that. I mean, just starting off with something that was still relatively uh, recent when I was in Berlin, is there still visibly, in terms of architecture or felt sense of people, and um, are there still kind of uh, a kind of, I don't know, a kind of a, a sense of East Berliners and West Berliners, or is everybody now Ich bin ein Berliner, as uh, J.F. Kennedy famously said, which was apparently was the German for the name of a sausage, which was unfortunate. <laughs> I'm a sausage. <laughs> I would definitely say Berlin is, is not divided. It's, it's very unified, but you can feel when you're going to West Berlin versus East Berlin. East Berlin is just, you know, more alternative. Um, it's where a lot of culture stuff is happening, a lot of music stuff, a lot of famous clubs are there. Um, and I think it's just generally a little bit different type of place. Um, however, now I think um, the, the better way to look at Berlin is Berlin is divided into known districts like, you know, Mitte or Prenzlauerberg, where most foreigners live or like more like um, Neukölln, Kreuzberg, which are more alternative, um, you know, a, a couple minorities also live there or West Berlin, which is sort of like posh, you know, boutiques, um, a little bit uh, reminds us of, uh, you know, like Oxford Circus type of area in London. Um, and that th those are all sort of a little bit of a different city inside a city. Um, but then I think what's, what's, what's really cool is that the startup ecosystem is evenly distributed across all those areas. And there are people who, you know, have an office in the center of Mitte and there are others who sit in West Berlin and others who sit in Kreuzberg. There is no sort of like um, huge concentration. And I think in this way, Berlin did a great job integrating the city. And now it's very similar to London where you have like, you know, anywhere from like Liverpool Street to Kensington to some other people sitting um, all, all across and Canary Wharf, um, et cetera. Etc. I think Berlin is a similar vibe, but you can feel a change in vibe and a little bit in architecture as you move across the city. Yes, it's a strange thing about history in that we're all in a sense like children playing on a beach and making sandcastles and, and drawing sort of figures with our finger in the sand and the waves come and wash it all over because while you were talking I did a quick calculation in my head and to my great surprise I realized that uh, you could quite easily be a, a Berliner, you can be a sausage. <laughs> 
I don't know what the correct German word is, and actually be over 30 and never have lived in either, quote, West Berlin or uh, East, East Berlin as was. So before we know it, there won't be that many people alive who uh, remember the difference. I mean, myself, I, I stayed in East Berlin, which I thought was really cool culturally uh, for the reasons, as you say, even if the architecture wasn't uh, completely wonderful. And West Berlin was, yes, it was a bit sort of West German, a little bit sterile. I mean, the cathedral was very pretty and, and, and stuff like that and consumerist. So look, we'll dive into the, the, the sort of hot and trendy uh, Berlin tech scene in a minute. But you mentioned uh, that you came from San Francisco, presumably not with flowers in your hair. So maybe you'd like to tell the audience a little bit about your, your background. Have you been a techie all your life or in finance all your life? And, and what it was that possessed you to move from San Francisco to Berlin and found uh, one of these embedded workshop, workflows, workshop, shop, <laughs> startups, whatever one of those might be, which you can, of course, tell us all a little bit about now and, and more about later. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so in brief, um, look, I, I studied in the States and you know, worked for a bunch of years in Silicon Valley, and I absolutely loved my time in San Francisco. Um, and, you know, I think this, this these years in San Francisco were um, probably like one of the times which people call um, golden edge, especially um, golden edge, sorry, um, j just just around sort of um, 2015, 2016, tech was booming. You know, a lot of companies were growing fast. Um, great companies like Uber and Lyft emerged um, around that time, um, Tinder as well, etc. And it was great to be in the ecosystem and see these things happen right in front of my eyes and work with a lot of talented people, um, you know, in the East Coast, um, on the West Coast, etc. But then I moved to Berlin mainly for, for family reasons. Uh, back then, you know, no thoughts of COVID or anything else, but it just happened so. I also moved in the year where Trump got elected and the immigration in the US just got a little worse. Uh, but my move to Berlin was mainly for family reasons. And back then I actually was looking at, you know, Berlin versus Amsterdam versus Zurich versus Barcelona um, and a couple other places and consciously chose Berlin because back then um, it was um, at least said to be the emerging new Silicon Valley of Europe. Um, and I really thought um, that there is a great combination of like culture, tech and all other things. Um, and obviously being in the heart of Europe. Okay, well, let's go from there into the, the main course, because it's a very good uh, jumping off point in that you have a unique advantage as, on one hand, being embedded day in, day out in the Berlin tech scene now for a number of years, and therefore knowing it very well, not just as it were logically, but also the whole vibe and, and, and feel of it and, and, and where it's at. Um, but also, you're not just somebody who was in Berlin all their life like somebody who's been in London all their life, you're someone who actually chose it compared to other places. So let's just start, let's just smoothly flow from your journey into the, the topic per se. So when you were sitting in San Francisco on the, the western edge of the world, what was it that you then thought about Berlin and how were those expectations uh, turning out, you know, compared to reality? Because one of the biggest challenges in life is having expectations, whether it's of a relationship, whether it's of a job or whether it's of a place, because life being what it is, it's always easy to somewhat romanticise the thing you're about to choose. <laughs> then yin and yang being what yin and yang is, you, you, you get there and you find that it's not all, for the sake of argument, some beams and unicorns and, and roses. And actually there are some sort of thorns there as well and some things which don't turn out as well. So yes, what was your before and after? Let's speak to your before, you're, you're Ivan, seven years ago in San Francisco, what would he have thought about tech and what does the new you think about tech in Berlin? 
Yeah, so, so, so living in San Francisco, one gets easily spoiled with, you know, the quality of talent around, the quality of ideas, quality of education, everything else. Um, there is very um, kind of typical uh, hardworking vibe there. It's, it's very expensive to live there. It's very hard to stay in the valley. People who stay are extraordinary. They work extra hard. They create great companies. And I've been working for, um, you know, quite, quite a few years in, in that environment before I moved. So um, I would say when I was looking at Berlin and, you know, um, other places in Europe, my expectation was like, well, it's Silicon Valley everywhere. It's just kind of going to be in Europe physically and not here. Um, and so this this was definitely one of the things that uh, didn't work out um, as I expected. Um, another point was the quality of innovation itself, right? Like innovation is a very, um, very known buzzword. But in Silicon Valley, you can actually see people working on the edge of technology, doing really cool stuff, doing it in a crazy good way, um, doing stuff that no one has tried before, uh, raising money specifically to do things that are crazy that you know no one is doing um, I think this was another piece that you know people say startups but what they mean by the word startup differs a lot between Europe and US largely probably UK is um, still somewhere in the middle um, and then the, the other piece I would say is uh, probably a more positive change is coming from the US it's it's mainly all about work like you don't get much of uh, social life or cultural life and that was one of very positive sort of uh, mismatches and expectations where I actually got a lot more positive um, experience just, just finally having a life, you know, attending all these concerts and doing a lot more things than I would do in Silicon Valley because it was just like work, 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 hike on the weekend, work, 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 go to the ocean, work, work, work. Ah, oh, excellent. Okay, so we're talking about the tech scene as a whole. So how would you give a, a, a topology if you were just sort of, you know, drawing a pie chart on, on, on a whiteboard uh, and dividing it up into the main sectors, segments, areas that it, that, that it covers, what would it look like? I mean, you know, in terms of the noddiest level of information I know, that Berlin's got a bit of a reputation for consumer tech, whatever that, whatever that means. So may, maybe you could, um, a bit like you were guiding us around the geography of Berlin, guide us a little bit around the geography of the sectors in the tech scene. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's, it's worth saying that if we look into the history of German and Berlin tech ecosystem, it actually starts in the 90s, right? It has a pretty long history and um, to, to their credit, Germans have been doing a lot of innovation in early days um, from all things related to digitalization, which is, you know, another buzzword that is big in Germany, um, to a lot of consumer tech marketplaces in e-commerce. They were actually one of the champions um, in the European market. And today I would say that there are a few industries that are specifically strong in Berlin ecosystem, but by no means this list is um, kind of exclusive. Um, I would say e-commerce and marketplaces are strong. FinTech is strong. Health tech is very present. To your point, a lot of B2C applications, including, for example, like N26 Neobank, come from Berlin. Um, and then there is a good amount of stuff happening in mobility, prop tech, but also, you know, all things related to blockchain and cryptocurrencies and other parts of um, this market, which are affected by regulation, which Germans actually got right um, in the last years. So um, I would say those those are probably the main ones. And then there are bits and pieces of everything else, but the concentration of investors, talent, and the market experience um, deviates a little bit more, at least in my view, towards those um, industries. I see. And so we're doing a top-down analysis, so we use the phrase tech scene, but let's just get a bit more nuanced. I mean, is there a tech scene? So, for example, in London, 
probably about five years plus, there was a fintech scene. You know, people would actually get together at, at a few events or drinks or something, and you'd see people who are founders of fintechs together. These days, I'm not really sure, to be honest, whether there's a fintech scene per se in London. You've got lots of companies who are geographically spread all over the bloody place, miles from each other, you know, like half an hour or 45 minutes commute from each other. And within, there's no such thing as fintech. You, you may have a payments company, but again, that may not be anywhere near another payments company. So other than the rare occasion where something centripetal pulls it together, you've actually just got companies dotted all over sort of funny places in central London doing just fintech. Now, that's before you zoom out and say, oh, what's the London tech scene like? Well, actually, it's just like that on steroids. You know, you've got companies all over the place and you've got a few sort of government agencies trying to make out it, it, it's a thing. So it's um, very dispersed in the same way that you might say, well, what's the entrepreneurial scene like in London? Well, yeah, they're all over the place. I mean, I know a guy who's got a wine bar and you know, he's not actually pulled together. So how kind of geographically diverse is it and, and how much of a tech scene per se is there or how much of a you know, consumer tech scene are, are there per se or are these just abstractions we're overlaying onto quite a, quite a large city that's got lots of entrepreneurial activity and occasionally it might be some piss up or something? Right, that's that's a great question. I think you also used a very interesting word. Um, I think entrepreneurship in Germany is actually huge, right? Um, in fact, I think just like in the UK, SMEs and small businesses contribute um, a large part of GDP, uh, which means that there are a lot of people doing different stuff all across. Many people have even like two or three companies and a freelance practice and this and that. But of those few are actual startups, aka fast-growing venture-backed technology companies. And then I would say that depending on the industry, um, companies Companies that originate in Germany in a specific segment actually tend to know each other pretty well. Um, they usually have uh, very good ties to each other. Um, you know, I, I built uh, with the guys one of the key neo banks in the German market back in the day. Uh, we knew all our competition. We knew, you know, all key people. We constantly spoke and met up with each other. And I think a large part of that is dictated by sort of having a, con a common enemy in many ways. Um, in, for example, the form of like traditional banks that we're trying to tackle or in the form of regulation and regulators that are being unreasonable um, or in the form of other challenges related to just like Germany as a country and the way of operating there where we're sort of forced to like meet each other, spare tips, um, try to understand how things work, which wouldn't be, you know, as, as much of an incentive, I guess, in London where things seem to be working a lot smoother in many regards, especially tax wise. Um, and then um, on the other hand, you have a lot of um, sort of culture stuff happening, which means that people tend to go to, you know, similar places. And Berlin is a lot smaller of a city than, for example, London, especially in terms of like places to go or what's actually happening where you will meet the right sort of crowd. So in a good event organized by a few people, you'll easily um, come across a few folks, you know, from your industry or others. Um, so I would say there is there is quite a scene there um, and there is a rich activity in terms of events that people actually go to. Um, this was one of the positive things that I saw sort of like moving from Silicon Valley to Berlin. Berlin is a lot smaller, but that's why people know each other. It's easier to get around through the network. And as long as you are topically related, um, it's super easy to connect. Everyone's super open um, to an extent, of course, um, as long as there is um, some sort of synergy. Yes, yeah, so and like a quick Google 
tells me 3.68 million was a, was a fairly recent figure, which is a, roughly speaking a third of London. And obviously within that segment, only a small proportion uh, are in it. So Berlin has the advantage of being a capital city, but as you say, not a vast capital city. And again, um, although I said there isn't necessarily a tech scene in London per se, like if you come around and say, oh, I want to go on a tour, a bus tour of the tech scene in London, it will just get all the buses and all the tubes and get out anywhere and you'll probably find it. Right. That having been said, no disrespect to other parts of the country, but it is always overhyped the extent to which, say, the fintech scene is anywhere else. I mean, there isn't one in Liverpool, in Manchester, in Birmingham. Actually, to your point, there is there is a very interesting way to compare it. Like, you can just look at the amount of WeWork, um, WeWork locations in Berlin versus London, right? And, like, I think Berlin has now five locations, which is quite a lot. But it's very high chance that you'll meet a lot of startups sitting in WeWork or in another co-working space that is next door to WeWork. And they're sort of evenly distributed um, across a couple neighborhoods. But this is where people hang. And some people are obviously outside and they have an office elsewhere. But this is sort of like concentration hub where a lot of startups hang around and the other startup offices They just tend to be in close proximity. So like there are probably like five or six spots in the city um, Around which everyone sort of concentrates and then there are obviously a people who just like happen to sit anywhere else um, And then you know, they see each other in events. I see so one interesting question which policymakers like to consider is what can the city what can the state, what can the government do to create the right environment for a tech scene to uh, arise? And you say you came from the Silicon Valley, uh, and obviously that's the uh, original gangster, as people say these days for some reason. Uh, that's the uh, scene for tech ecosystems in the entire world. It's a sort of very important model. And you got to the stage there where income keeps being reinvested Lots of VCs, lots of angels make tons of money and, and, and feed it back in. And um, there have been plenty of analyses of why Silicon Valley did well and all that kind of stuff. Most of them tend to underestimate the military spending and all that kind of stuff from the 60s onwards that was taking place over there. So the pump was um, primed and one gets various attempts uh, in major cities around the world to replicate some or all of those kind of things and government initiatives. And there, are, you know, there have been a few um, in London. Um, but in general, I'm uh, definitely at the highly sceptical end that there is much directly that government can do. It does a bit of window dressing and maybe a bit of sort of rah-rah pomp because actually what creates the tech scene is, and this is almost a sort of circular answer to my question, I hope you've got a better one, um, which is that a bunch of entrepreneurs get together and a bit like a, a bunch of um, um, uh, uranium atoms get together, it creates a bit of heat and then that attracts more people and you know, um, that, that kind of process. I, I, it's almost sort of self-starting and it tends to be in capitals. But anyway, what's your experience of um, uh, Berlin? How much of it uh, is just driven by entrepreneurs such as yourself and the fact that Berlin is a cool place and how much of it is, is driven by the fact that the government has got, I don't know, a department of, we will create a tech scene that'll be really good. My view is actually very simple, that the governments um, can, can definitely fuck it up, right? And many governments unfortunately get it wrong and do a lot of things that um, sort of prevents people from coming there. Um, and I would say Germany is among the countries that does both. It does a lot of attractive things and a lot of things that are like absolutely off-putting. Um, so I think, um, and, and 
look, I mean, you being based in the UK, I understand that, you know, UK is actually one of the friendliest countries for doing business, for establishing a business, running a business. So in that sense, you're absolutely right that in this environment, it's like very good environment. And if you have a spark, it will just grow. I think um, I'll speak to about some German peculiarities now, but it's like there are things that can really make it difficult for anyone just trying to do something. Um, and I've seen that firsthand. So um, talking at a high level, I think uh, compared to US, one thing that Europe offers and is very attractive is very easy immigration uh, for high quality um, labor force without any restrictions, without any sort of um, you know crazy processes or lottery like in the US for H1B. So for example, when I moved to Germany, I got my residency permit in three days in the consulates um, just by showing a job offer of a certain amount plus relevant education and work experience. And they approved my visa right there. It took three days to get a green. And this is an equivalent of a green card to the US, which in the US can easily take years of time, if at all uh, one can get it, no matter if they graded at Stanford, MIT or whatever. And in a way, it's easier to cross the border being a Mexican citizen into the US illegally. I was about to say there's a shortcut to working in tech in America. Just join the people trafficking and join the 8 million people who've walked over the border. Exactly. And not only can you get a job in tech, you'll be given state benefits as well. And look, I understand that, you know, the, the immigration policy is hard to get right. And I think the US is, is definitely making big steps towards improving this. Um, every administration tries to do so. It's just objectively very hard to get it right. I think Germany and Europe, um, European Union have uh, this uh, program called Blue Card um, for highly skilled labor. And it's excellent. So I think that's one thing that they absolutely do right. Um, there is um, another piece which is basically uh, related to immigration, specifically in Berlin. Um, there is a government body called Berlin Partner, which is designed to help startups and foreigners, uh, mainly because authorities don't typically speak any English, even in the foreigners department, they barely speak English sometimes. Um, and I can understand why it's Germany, right? But also for somebody moving there and not speaking German, it's difficult. So there is this Berlin Partner entity to help. That's another thing they do um, really, really well. Um, and in general, I think all, all things related to just accepting foreign labor, uh, accepting more diversity and allowing people to broaden the talent pool allows, you know, startups to actually foster innovation and, and get some new things going for which there is no experience yet in the local market, which I think is, you know, one thing that Berlin does absolutely uh, brilliantly, given that they have a lot of universities, a lot of internationals. It's a city that is almost like New York, London, that blends so many people together and it's not hard to move there. The government supports students with visas, you know, like they give a lot of chances for people to stay. They have um, good perks, um, you know, a, amazing time to sort of find the job, etc. It's all very reasonable compared to many other countries I've seen. Now, there are some things that I would say, um, you know, make it very difficult to do business in Germany in general. And I think it's just uh, sort of the, the, the legacy of Germany, uh, per, uh, not per se Berlin. Uh, which is basically Germany is a highly complex country with a zillion different laws, uh, many of which were designed, you know, dozens of years ago. And Germany is a very traditional country with a lot of traditional values with a big part of the economy driven by traditional industry, where there is actually little willingness to revise some things that don't make sense anymore. And everything is highly super complex. And when you comment on that, they say, look, yeah, that's Germany. What, what did you expect? You came here. This is this is how it works. And it starts with, you know, the ease of founding a business. It's not easy. Like there are a million hiccups you can do. You can get like fined by tax authority by like transfer 
transferring your shares in a little bit wrong way, whatever. It's super complex. Sometimes even an experienced tax advisor can help there. It continues with things like, for example, if you raise any money at all, um, almost anything, especially now, needs to be notarized. Notarization fees are based on the amount you raise because the notary thinks that they carry responsibility according to the amount of the deal. So you will literally pay a percentage of your round to the notary, which is absolutely wow. unheard of anywhere else in the world. It's the avoidance of doubt, that's somebody who checks that you're signing your signature or something. So in Germany, they have to read whatever it is, 20, 30, 40 pages to you out loud. You have to sit there for hours and listen to them reading it all in German, even if you don't speak German. <laughs> and then sign a special affidavit that you, you understand what you're signing, etc. Or give a power of attorney to somebody who does. And then the notary will charge you a hefty amount because, and it's all government regulated fees. It's not like notaries are crazy, but they always charge a percentage of the deal. So if you get divorced wow. or sell an apartment, it's they're still charging you a percentage of the deal, which for especially early stage startups is absolutely crazy. Also, the amount of paperwork you need to do to raise a convertible in Germany or to raise a safe is probably 10x complexity and cost on the legal side compared to US. And every single step is very hard. Like I can tell you that Americans, when they invest in a German company, they either have to get an appointment in the consulate of Germany in New York or another city, or they have to get uh, their notary in the, in the city, plus get an apostille from a ministry of justice of the US from Department of Justice of the US, all of this paperwork sent by mail to the German notary and only after this the notary will send an application to commercial register. The cost of doing this for US, for some of the angels we signed, exceeded the cost of their investments. That's insane. That's insane, man. I never knew that. Wow. And this is, this is, this is just a good example of how Germany functions. But any feedback in that regard is just like, yeah, this is Germany. This is how it works. You don't like it, go elsewhere. This is a little bit of a framing they have. And this is a system that is very rooted in the culture. So it's not you know, going to change tomorrow or anytime soon. Um, the, and Germans are keep, keep, to, keep making it more complex, not easier. And then if you're an international founder who doesn't speak German, unless you find a really good sort of supporter and advisor in Germany, your risks of, like people like to call it, especially in FinTech, of going to jail or getting a tax uh, fine or something else are, you know, like above 50%. Not because you do something wrong, but because it's impossible to even know what you are supposed to do because the laws are infinitely complex. They almost rely on you being like Deutsche Bank and employing a whole team of lawyers who will protect you from all sides. And then you probably will understand 90% of what you need to comply with. Um, and even then, um, there are a lot of things that depend on interpretation. So in the UK or US, if you expense something for a business, right? Like you, you went to a restaurant with the clients, you can just say, look, it's a business expense. In Germany, you have to submit the check of a special kinds, mentioning who was in the meeting, what was the purpose of the meeting, explaining the rationale of the meeting for any receipts. And they will literally check your receipts down to, you know, two or three euros. And we recently got audited because the tax authority asked, like, you guys are not making such good revenue. How are you spending all this money? What, what type of company is this? We're like, it's a startup. <laughs> oh, sorry, we don't know what a startup is. It looks like you're committing fraud. We're going to check every receipt you ever submitted for VAT reimbursement. So they actually went and checked all the receipts down to like three euros, two euros, 
which would never happen in the US because up to 75 bucks, you don't even need the receipt. And these things, they basically mean that you need to have very high cost of entry to found the company, to run your tax side of things, to run your legal side of things, to notarize a very simple financing ground. So a lot of people I know um, who are sort of like, even sitting in Germany, they're founding companies and legal entities outside of Germany because it's so hard to operate the German entity and it's so complex and the Germans make it such a trouble that it just doesn't really make sense compared to, you know, a zillion other jurisdictions from Estonia to UK to US. Um, and this is just one example. So maybe just to kind of uh, close the loop here, right? Uh, the, the, the point is that there are a lot of things uh, that Germany does right. Um, it's easy to immigrate. Um, it's easy to get settled. There is um, some government help in sort of getting all the, all the IDs, etc., etc. So you can navigate German bureaucracy. It's not easy. You have to wait for appointments, but you can do this. Cost of living is doable. You have very international pool of talent, etc. But some aspects of doing business are just absolutely crazy and unimaginable for 2023 as well as the fact that, for example, Germany highly operates on mail. So if you go open a bank account, everything will be in mail, like in physical mail. It won't be fully digital. And a lot of other things related to government are also mail. And a lot of these things, like when I arrived from Silicon Valley, I thought people are kidding. I, I just asked them <laughs> if I need a pager or something. But they weren't kidding and, you know, the regular amount of mail I would send or receive every month is, is just, you know, insane. And so these things, they sort of create this controversy where Berlin is an attractive hub and Berlin government is doing a ton of efforts to attract new investment, etc. But German, German mentality and German laws and German structure makes it very, very hard to actually run a company in Germany. Um, and tax system is very complex. And just in general, I think it's, it's very well designed for Germans in Germany doing certain types of things. It's not super well designed for innovation. And then another point that we can talk about in a minute is, is the investment climate and what sort of money is available in the market. Okay, well, let's come on to the investments. But just hearing you say that, uh, it, it does make me appreciate something which is disappearing both in the UK and uh, in America, sadly, in recent years, namely liberty. And even the idea now is seen as, I don't know, it's far right or something not to agree with uh, what your government tells you to think and say and, and all this kind of crap. But there's a serious point, which is that, let's just take England, there's a hell of a lot of you, Britain, there's been a hell of a lot of innovation over centuries in this country whether it's from the Industrial Revolution or 1960s pop music uh, or fintech and, and many, many uh, things such as that. And actually, historically, there's been quite a lot of innovation in America as well, simply because actually originally America's kind of forgotten it. Uh, America was an offshoot of Britain. It was British colonies and it started with a foundational sort of legal approach of common law, which is, look, you can do what you want, but don't do these things. Whereas, as we know, the, the simplifying... Europe started the other way around and ended up with a million regulations. So it is useful to be reminded of the, the value of a, a system where people can do things. That having been said, certainly in the UK, regulation is now through the roof. Liberty has all but disappeared and the rules around everything are massively complicated. So I've mentioned many times before that two chancellors or around about 2010 plus or minus said they'd simplify the tax code. What happened over five years? It went up sixfold in length. Who does that benefit? Tax lawyers and accountants. Nobody else. So the complexity, the kind of bindweed that's just, you know, the, the little the thousand strands, the, the, the Lilliputians that tie Gulliver down, where Gulliver here is the entrepreneur trying to create wealth. 
are getting worse and worse around the world. That having been said, it's not a level playing field everywhere. And um, it's uh, actually not surprising because I remember when Dresner owned Clamont Benson that there was a real problem around the fact that <laughs> if you followed all Dresner's rules, you couldn't actually do anything. So they actually had a mechanism where if you had someone on the forestand on the main board, he could say, oh, you can do it. So, so you then have to get involved, involved in that, which actually was a way of negating all the laws. But anyway, it's really interesting. And going back to where we, we started from, the Ivan of 10 years ago had a certain expectation, understanding, and the Ivan today has a different one. And like most things, whether it's marriage, whether it's moving to Japan, whether it's starting a tech in, uh, in Berlin, life being what it is, is always, well, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, this is, this is, this is life. So um, just wrapping up then, you mentioned the investment. And as I say, one of the things about Silicon Valley is that it, it's a bit like a siphon. Once the thing goes round and round and round, once the water wheel goes round and round and round, the water coming off at the other end, if it's going, it pushes it, doesn't work perfectly, never mind, uh, pushes it and keeps it going, going round. So there's a, a virtuous circle going um, there. And one of the things about getting the wheel to start going round in the first place is capital coming into businesses because uh, I did this myself in 1998. You start a business without capital, it's a very slow growth phase. Whereas if somebody sort of chucks loads of money at you, you certainly work out whether you're going to be a hero or a zero uh, sooner rather than later. And evolution being what it, what it is, if you've got a, a short lifespan of, of new startups, then actually before you know it, this has succeeded, this has succeeded, and then that's succeeded. So how, does the, how has the investment scene worked historically in Berlin, apart from the fact that people take a, a good slice of the, the money out? Are there a, a lot of VCs, angels and such these days? Is it a recent phenomenon where it's really taken off or longer? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, actually, uh, it's it's interesting, right? Um, compared to Silicon Valley, I would say th just just the general sentiment is that uh, Germany is a little bit more risk averse as as a country than, for example, the U.S. So people are less likely to throw money at some innovative stuff and a lot more likely to support like very proven e-commerce models or digitalization. Like the types of platforms you often see in Germany are something like, oh, we we'll, we'll literally improve the online shopping experience by whatever, 200 percent. So now you can buy goods easier. Like for cargo industry, we did this instead of a pen and paper or Excel. We have a new platform. It's digitalization. So you'll see a lot of that technology in Germany. Um, there is some stuff that is really, really innovative, um, but that requires sort of a strong network on the founder side and some really, really solid backgrounds to raise money because all things being equal, German investors almost almost wants to do this controversial thing um, obviously with a lot of exceptions like there are great funds in germany that are different but i think the majority are still the guys who want to support business models that are proven that's um you know will definitely work but there is still innovative so they want sort of lower risk while they want to get the same high reward and this is where you'll see a lot of companies in germany not ever reaching um the heights that the companies in the uk or us reach because they're just not as groundbreaking they're not as you know um, industry defining as there and so what i would say is the general sentiment is a lot of companies that become groundbreaking they at some point probably tend to uh, move out of germany or raise money outside of germany because it's harder to raise money for innovation in germany in fact like we are based in berlin but most of our investors are u.s investors because we're doing something super new and most of the german ecosystem um didn't understand that um in in that way so i, I would say in on, on average, there are things that work very well for funding in Berlin and there are those that don't, but it's less relevant now. You mentioned America. So, I mean, how many, for example, American VCs are in Berlin? One, five, ten, fifty? 
So yeah, that that was exactly my point. I think like now, like if I, if I was if I was founding a company now, I would look for a place to found a company where it's cost effective, right? That's is really really important, where you can find good talent, um, and where you won't spend spend a fortune like in San Francisco. And then you can raise money from anywhere in the world. Like I'm raising money in London and San Francisco. You know, I'm still Berlin based, but it doesn't really change um, anything for me. And so I would say after COVID, it's a big advantage that you're not anyhow bound to a local um, ecosystem. And it creates competition for investors as well to actually make sure that they even get a check allocation. And we constantly have to decline because we are oversubscribed every single round. And so in that sense, um, as a founder, you can raise globally, even while based in Germany. Oh, excellent. Well, what I've got from that is that um, Berlin is a, a good example of the um, complexity of life and the fact that everything, including all of us human beings, contain contradictions and, and paradoxes. On the one hand, as you're explaining, it's very much a global city. It's easy to immigrate and, and those kind of things. And you can turn up and not know anything about the culture or the language. And it, you don't have to be local in, in any sense. So it's super 21st century idea of globalization and, and losing uh, a lot of the, the localization. But on the other hand, it's a bit like a barbell. On the other end of the barbell, you've got this incredibly kind of, let's say, for sake of argument, for the sake of caricature, 19th century Germanic opinion about how things work and, and you know, and notaries and, and all this kind of, kind of stuff. And we shall see in the future about how the two ends of the barbell reconcile them uh, if they do, or whether, uh, like us human beings, it continues with its paradoxes and it's on the one hand and on the other. But before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all the listeners out there, my brand partners, the podcast. Smart is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. The leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. Thenlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. So, Ivan, I thank you very much for your honest account about the, the pros and the cons, which have been very uh, educational and, and particularly essential, I'd say, for any listener out there who's thinking of moving to Berlin because it's a cool place to start their tech startup. I think they'll probably be uh, much better informed uh, than you were uh, many years ago by your first-hand honest account. But you've been a super conscientious guest in that you haven't mentioned Monite, your embedded workflows startup at all. So maybe you'd be kind enough to let the listeners out there know about Monite. And maybe we start with what is an embedded workflow startup in the first place. I got the startup word and all the other ones I would know like one by one, but that particular order, I didn't quite understand them. So if you could let the listeners know uh, what it is you guys are, are doing, where you've come from, where, where you're going, then I'm sure they'd be uh, fascinated. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so just maybe a little bit background story first. So um, if you look at any business and we really target like small and medium sized businesses, everyone has to earn money and spend money. On the earning money side, you you know send invoices, collect all those payments. On the spending side, you actually have to pay your suppliers, um, you know pay some expenses, etc. And what we noticed um, while building a neobank actually for German SMEs was that these processes are very far from being efficient on the SME side. And if they were to automate some of that, um, it requires quite quite um, quite many pieces of software, which leads to still most people using Excel today, even though it's 2023 and you know just losing a lot of time um, and money in the process and so what we did at Monite is we built a solution that is essentially allowing um, those small businesses to you know take care of revenue collection and pay their suppliers etc but we don't bring it to them directly we actually bring it to the partners they already work with such as banks 
neobanks, verticalized SaaS, fintech SaaS, or whatever it may be, basically saying like, look guys, if you already have an account here, why not manage invoicing in the same place? Why not pay suppliers in the same place? And because it's not a single action, um, it's actually a workflow. This is why we call it embedded workflows. It's because there are multiple steps associated to doing this, right? Like before you send the invoice, you probably have a commercial discussion. You send the commercial offer, then you'll send an invoice, then you'll need to collect the payments, account for this payment, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's, um, that's why we call it workflows. And what, what it does is it really sort of on the one side allows all these small businesses, um, you know, in Europe or in the US to get more functionality where they already sit. Of course, we have to first sell to their partner, but then for partners, for neobanks, for banks and others, we actually allow them to do the three things they desire most. It's to earn more per customer to get more engagement and to grow faster in terms of their user base growth, just because they have more functionality to offer and they can differentiate. Um, and so with that in mind, uh, we're now at 25 platforms. Uh, we're kind of across, um, across Europe um, and the US um, and developing very fast. Uh, what I want to say is that we're really on a mission here to innovate SME finance uh, as a market. And so what we want to see is that, you know, five years from now, a lot more people use proper finance automation, not Excel. They use it where it's convenient for them, for example, in their bank or in your bank. Uh, but they don't have to hustle anymore with all those manual things. Uh, but then apart from sort of um, what we do at Monite, one thing I want to mention is that for all the founders and folks out there, I want to encourage everyone to think a little bit more in those sort of infrastructure terms and stories. How can we actually build more stuff around the user where they already sit? Not ask them to increase complexity, add new products, but actually make it convenient and easy to consume. And that's definitely one of the missions we have at Monite. And in the process, just because I always, you know, say this to founders, and this is a big part of my journey and a big part of learning uh, while moving to Europe is don't forget that there is a life um, apart from business. Um, and I think Berlin taught me like, um, you know, no other place that apart from building a company, there is a big world out there. Um, there are people, um, there is a lot of culture stuff happening. And while building a company, you don't want to miss life um, in, in sort of just flying by your eyes. You want to work hard and you want to be successful. But just my, my big advice to all founders, let's just don't forget about other pieces of life. And um, if, if you feel a distress, et cetera, you know, there are a lot of tactics um, that can help, a lot of good books to read. I also practice, um, you know, Reiki and then similar things to sort of cope with stuff. But I would say like wherever you live, whatever you do, um, you know, there are a lot of ways to succeed that don't require you uh, just working and not having a life. Um, and I think if we just create synergy and what I call like love and business by connecting the dots, taking good care about the end user, creating models that are sustainable and that work without extra hustle, but also doing so without overloading or killing ourselves, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll live in a better world tomorrow. Excellent. Well, as this is the last podcast of 2023 to come out, I think that's a very balanced message to leave with the listeners. And as with most things in life and travel and, and, and moving around and all that kind of thing, the more that one experiences, the more that one gets more three-dimensional rather than uh, one-dimensional and integrates the strengths and also hopefully avoid some of the weaknesses of all these countries. So I thank you very much for that, Ivan. It's been a fascinating and very informative coverage of the Berlin tech scene, and I wish you and Monite every success in the future. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. If you're in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience, and contacts, 
in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today. Contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a vendor all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride Come away from the city With the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city With the faces so grey With the pain of the Mountains and the trees Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fit in between the earth and the sky Kiss the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Wave the city goodbye Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.